invite you to remain standing a moment longer for this morning's reading from the Gospel. I'll be reading from the Gospel according to Luke, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 11. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing yet. If you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Last week when we were talking about the now Jesus, the uh, Jesus that had come to his hometown there in Nazareth and, and uh, went into the synagogue and uh, was handed the scroll of Isaiah and, and read from that scroll and then sat down and in the, the sitting was the style of preaching in those days, reading of the scripture and then sitting to preach in the, in the message that Jesus gave the crowd that we heard last week was that he had been filled with the Spirit. The Spirit had come upon him, and that in the reading of that scripture from Isaiah, meaning he had come to proclaim good news to the captives, the poor, the oppressed, what have you, that he was fulfilling the scripture. And of course, then there was that dialogue between uh, those that uh, wanted to hear the scripture in a in a certain way, and this Jesus who who said that isn't the correct interpretation, and went to point out how God's love was for all people, not just those from Jesus' hometown, not just from from the background that Jesus had, meaning a Jewish uh, man, uh, but that God loved all people, and that God's blessing was upon them. And of course, that outraged uh, the people who it initially had warmed up to Jesus because he was the hometown favorite, and then by the end of the story wanted to throw him off of the cliff as a blasphemer. That was the story we heard last week. Now what's happened between that story when he was chased basically out of his own hometown and to coming to this part of the story, which is now in Capernaum, uh, a city on the, the seashore. Luke says it's the, he calls it in, in Luke's gospel here, the Sea of Gennesaret. That's also, or the lake, uh, that's also the Sea of Galilee. It's just the same body of water with uh, being called differently by people. So we're talking about the Sea of Galilee. This is 
Peter's hometown, Capernaum is. Uh, and some would say for a while it was actually Jesus' hometown. But in between uh, the story I just read to you and the, the story we used last week to talk about the now Jesus, uh, we have had, uh, we didn't get to hear them, but what Jesus has been doing, uh, he, he has healed a man uh, in Capernaum, uh, a man who was in the synagogue, a man who had come to church, uh, a man who we're told had an unclean spirit. And we're also told that this unclean spirit certainly recognized Jesus when others didn't. Uh, the evil spirit gets it when we good folk miss it. But, but this unclean spirit is cast out in the synagogue. In other words, Jesus uh, heals the man. Uh, Peter then uh, spends time in, excuse me, Jesus then spends time in Peter's home where he actually heals Peter's mother-in-law, rebukes a fever that, his mother, that Peter's mother-in-law had heals her, <coughs> and excuse me, as word gets around Capernaum, other people begin to show up there, asking Jesus for healing. And so Jesus does this. More sick, uh, the scripture tells us, were healed that day. And then Jesus leaves Capernaum because he says his mission is to go to other synagogues throughout Judea, doing these very same things, proclaiming the good news uh, that God had come into the world and that healing was in their midst and giving the people great hope. So this story today, we're back now in Capernaum. Jesus has kind of made a, a whirlwind tour, if you will. Notoriety has increased. People are hearing about Jesus. Uh, not everybody gets it, uh, but certainly Jesus has, is gathering, uh, garnering a reputation, if you will, when he comes back uh, to Capernaum. And he's standing there by the, the lake shore, uh, and, and it says the crowd who, who is responding to Jesus' notoriety, and, and probably many in that crowd were hoping to be healed themselves. They're pressing in on him, pushing him up to the edge of the lake, and so Jesus takes the opportunity with these two fishing boats there. He actually gets into, uh, into Simon's boat. Now we're talking Simon Peter, so when you hear Simon or Peter, it's the same guy, uh, Simon Peter. He gets into Simon's boat, uh, and, he, and he says to Simon, push off a little bit. So move out away from, from the, the, the coastline there. And you know, we, I think we've, we've said this before, that that actually provides a, a better opportunity for not only Jesus to, uh, to, to have some breathing room to gather his thoughts, but, but the surface of that water can actually help amplify his voice. So he's almost created a, a, an amphitheater, if you will, so that he can teach the crowds who are desperate to hear him speak. Now here's the funny thing. We're told he does this, but we're not told what he says. We have no idea what he told the crowd. It just says he taught them. And then he looks over at the master of the boat, Simon Peter, after teaching, and he tells Simon, now, now put out into deep water. And, and what does Simon say? It's kind of like the same kind of response we're used to giving uh, even, even when the church asks us to do something. Well, you know, we have a little bit of experience doing this and it didn't go so well for us the last time we tried it. Maybe, but because you asked, we'll go ahead and do it. And that's what Peter's response is. You know, Lord, we, we were out there last night and, and I, I, I kind of want to see Peter thinking, you know, I've already been embarrassed once today. You know, these people know that we came back and, and any fish that we had in our nets, they weren't worth keeping. So basically we caught nothing. It was a big goose egg for last night. But, but then Peter says, but because you ask. 
And so he pushes out into the deeper water. He goes deep. And he follows Jesus' instruction to cast that net out. And, 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 and he is so amazed. And you and I, you know, we get to read this story and say, Oh, you Peter, you doubted, you shouldn't have. You should have known if Jesus was telling you to do this. If Jesus was in your boat, it was going to be good. But Peter is amazed and, and he can't handle the, the enormity of the catch. And he signals to his partners in the other boat, Come! Come! I, we, gotta, we, gotta, we need help! And so they come and, and as they haul in this catch of fish, when Peter sees what has happened, this, this great response, the difference between when they were going at it themselves the night before and, and when they followed Jesus' instruction, listen to what Peter says. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. That's his response. You know, if we go back to what Virginia, to where the prophet Isaiah uh, was sharing, what did Isaiah say as he realized he was in the presence of God? These are Isaiah's words. And I said, woe is me! I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It was in that moment of realization that God's grace, the power that God has in not only Isaiah's life, but in Peter's life, and probably so many others, especially some of us here in this room, when we realize God's amazing grace, that we're willing to take that next step. So they've pushed out. They've got fish. They're coming back. Peter has fallen at the knees of Jesus. And... What is Jesus' response? Don't be afraid. You're just going to start fishing for people. Oh my. We're warmed. Our hearts are warm, but we're also afraid because if He's telling Peter He's got to fish for people, does that mean you and I have to fish for people? What, what kind of change does this Jesus want from us? What, what kind of catch does Jesus expect from us? Peter, in his brokenness, when he realizes he's in this presence of the Son of God, when he confesses and realizes that his utter salvation depends upon this love that Peter is being shown by Jesus, when Peter realizes that, his life begins to change. How many of us can say we've had profound experiences like that? Some of us have grown up in church. We know nothing different. We've been here all of our lives. Our parents had us baptized. We can't describe our own moment of baptism. We've, we seem to have, have, have been a, grown up in Sunday school. We, we may have gone away for a little bit, but we're back. And, and, and for many of us, that's our story. We don't have those kinds of profound experiences like Peter did, or James, or John, the, the sons of Zebedee, as they witness this event. But what changes for us? How, how do you and I begin to, uh, to make sense of this life of faith that we're invited to live in, this, this Jesus who invites us to follow Him, to, to catch other people. There was a story recently that CNN put out. It was a, uh, a story of a pastor in South Korea. Now, this pastor in South Korea was once an assassin. This pastor in South Korea was a hired killer. And CNN was telling his story, the story of Kim Shin Jo. 
Kim Shin Jo in January of 1968 was a part of a 31-member commando unit sent from North Korea into South Korea tasked with killing the president of South Korea. And this group of commandos, they said, got within about 400 yards of the, the South Korean presidential palace when they were engaged by South Korean security troops. Uh, at least 30 South Korean soldiers were killed and 29 of Kim Shin Jo's commando unit were killed. One got away, but Kim Shin Jo was captured. And Kim Shin Jo was, of course, interrogated. But in the midst of his interrogation, they say a, a South Korean army general befriended him. Maybe it was a way of getting more intelligence, you know, good cop, bad cop, that kind of thing. But Kim Shin Jo began to realize there was more to life than murdering people even if your government ordered it. And Kim Shin Jo uh, began to have a conversion experience. And, and he was seeing in this South Korean general the love and the willingness to forgive uh, that, that this South Korean general seemed to exhibit. It, it began to change Kim Shin Jo. He would later say, uh, after uh, spending time in prison, after uh, being freed uh, by the South Korean government, after uh, being given a chance to uh, uh, be educated somewhat, and then ultimately becoming a pastor in South Korea. Kim Shin-jo said that day that he was captured in 1968, Kim Shin-jo died. Physically he didn't die, but spiritually he did. He said he was reborn because someone was willing to give him a chance. Someone, and then others forgave him for what he came to do, kill the president of South Korea. You know, that's one of those experiences that we will probably never have ourselves. But we do have opportunities to, to experience rebirth, to see God's grace in action, if not in a profound way from God, then through the words and actions of others around us who remind us of who we are and whose we are. And how God's amazing grace can change us if we allow it. What did Isaiah say? Woe is me, a man of unclean lips. What was God's response? As the hot coals were placed on his unclean lips, he experienced grace. Isaiah, a man who many would say was already a man of God, a man who in his own right had some power and authority in the exiled world with people as he brought God's prophetic word to them. Who is this Jesus who comes to Peter? Who is Peter? Well, some might say, well, it says here he had partners. That means he's a small business person. He managed a couple of fishing boats. Uh, people counted on him. Uh, he, he was able to walk away, the story says, to, to follow Jesus. He, he could put his business in someone else's hands. Who... But who was this Peter? He'd been up all night. Can you imagine how ripe he must have smelt? He'd been out on the, the sea all day, hauling in nets all night. In the midst of cleaning his nets, Jesus steps into his boat. Do you imagine he was tired? Do you imagine he had thought he had seen it all? Do you imagine he thought himself rather successful in, in maybe not that particular night? But at least he was able to, to bring a a reasonable living home to his family, to take care of a, a mother-in-law at least. But who is Peter? Who is Isaiah as we seek to follow this God that changes our lives? You know, it's interesting when you look at this story. 
I think you could effectively argue that, you know, God doesn't always ask, and, and maybe God never asks for volunteers like we think. You know, how many times, well, we've got sign-up sheets out there, right, in front of the elevator in the narthex. We're always asking for help. Will you, will you read Scripture? Will you serve communion? Will you, you know, will you set up? Will you, uh, will you help with the mobile food pantry? Do you want to go on this trip? We're always asking for volunteers, but in this story, Peter doesn't necessarily volunteer, does he? What does Jesus do? He stepped into Peter's life. He stepped into Peter's boat. Now, Peter had to say yes when he said, can you put out into deep water? So maybe Jesus doesn't always seek volunteers. Maybe as Peter and Isaiah did, as they realized their dependence upon God, as they realize that God has already found a place in their life, maybe it's not so much about volunteering as it is just about doing. When we realize we can't do this ourselves, when Peter, I think, would say in retrospect, I didn't catch a fish when I was on my own, but when I went where God directed me, when I followed where Jesus told me to go and to put my nets down, it was an amazing catch. So maybe it's not just about waiting for God to ask for volunteers. Maybe God assumes that as you realize you can't do this on your own, as you realize that it's only by God's grace that you are a person of faith, then maybe you have already volunteered. Maybe, maybe it's just time to do. Another interesting thing is who is... Jesus looking for? Well, it doesn't seem to me in many of these stories that he's searching for trained theologians. The trained theologians he encounters, the Pharisees, if you want to argue that, the, the scribes, the elders, they don't get it. Who does Jesus search for? Folks like you and me. Folks that may have worked a, a full day of work. Folks that aren't successful sometimes. Thomas Edison's. People here in Decatur, Wise County. Just ordinary folk. That's who this Jesus seems to prefer. Not just people that you would expect. People who kids are grown and out of the home. People who don't already have a job. But these ordinary people like you and I, where there might be a disruption in our life as we realize the need we have for God. Charles Wesley, you know, it was on his, uh, the third day of Charles Wesley's conversion. Charles Wesley could put a date when he really was, when he really believed uh, that, that he had experienced uh, this inbreaking of, of salvation into his life. Oh, he, he, was, uh, he was already a, an ordained priest in the Church of England. So the church had already approved him as a, as a man of God. But Wesley says it was on his third day of his conversion experience that the words, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And if you are familiar, if you remember those words of that great hymn that Wesley wrote, uh, if you think about the 200 years that have come and gone since he was writing about that experience, if he just had a thousand tongues to sing his great Redeemer's praise, and, and I think we could argue, okay, Mr. Wesley... How about millions of people in the last 200 years have been able to sing 
the praise of God. There are people among us that have profound effects on us. And God is probably or likely or maybe even if you want to think that way. Could God be speaking to me through them, through these words? So this journey that we're on is about taking a risk. Peter took a risk. He was tired. He was probably embarrassed. You want me to do this again? But Lord, if you say so, I'll take that risk. This journey that we're on is filled with risks. We're not immune from being sick. We're not immune from being taunted or teased or even doubted. This journey of faith that we're on is a risk in and of itself. Bill Castor, a Presbyterian pastor who's also a jazz musician, uh, uh, wrote a little article. It was about the, uh, the art of playing jazz. And he actually said it's an act, uh, if you will. Uh, he said there's an, in, uh, there's an inferred uh, risk in becoming a jazz musician. He said you, you have to use uh, uh, improvisation in order to, to be uh, a jazz musician. He said your fingers, they need to be nimble so that you can play the chords. But he also says you need to have some training uh, in, in music theory, but also in the form of music if you want to be a good jazz musician. But he said even with those things, you have to have a willingness. You have to have a willingness to take your music into sometimes unexplored territory. We're talking jazz music? Didn't know it was that complicated, did we? He said it takes discipline. He says it takes some technical training. You have to be prepared. You have to practice. Take risks, he said. And from the moment the music begins to rise up from the page, he says you realize you have a safety net. Safety net? He says, yes, in jazz music, you can't replay the notes. But your safety net is you know you can be forgiven by those who receive the music. They'll let you play another day. Interesting. Allowed to play another day. That's like our Christian faith, and I think that's why that spoke to Reverend Castor so strongly. This notion of needing to learn, needing to grow, kind of sounds like our our journey of faith, our vision statement. We have opportunities to learn and to grow by them, to understand that God's grace is at work in our lives. And then we're called forth to give and serve back so that others can also follow in this journey. You see, friends, if we don't take a risk, if we don't allow God to take that step into our life, I think it's problematic that we'll ever be risk takers, that we'll ever fish for people. If we just think we, we've, we've made it, we've said yes to God, our salvation is in place, and there's nothing left in this life except to perhaps go to church occasionally and, 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 and tell people we're Christian, I think we're missing out on so much because when we take those risks, when we follow Jesus into that deeper water, there's so much to catch. And in that catching, yes, we'll catch people for the kingdom of God. But in that catch, in that willingness to take that risk, is the experience of a deeper love. A deeper love that this world can't offer. can only be experienced as we say yes to God. As we say yes to Jesus and follow Him into that deeper water, that trust. So I know this story is about the fish that Peter and James and John 
the sons of Zebedee and the other partners on that fishing expedition had. But I don't want us to forget about the catch, the big catch that's out there for you and I. The big catch of God's enormous love. No matter who we are or where we come from in life, God's love is big enough and bold enough and powerful enough to make a difference in the way we encounter our God and the way we encounter other people as we live and serve our God in this kingdom that Jesus is building one life at a time. If we come to the table this morning, I hope and I pray that, that you will once again feel the power, the love that God has as you get these simple elements that by the mystery of God's grace become Christ's body and blood for us. I hope that that can be a life-changing experience again for you. To be as Kim Shin Joe would say, to be reborn again today. So that this day is a new day, another new day in your life. So that you can walk closer and more humbly with our God. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen.